for the cross. We're so thankful for what you have done to rescue us from sin and death and to bring us into hope. May we remember the greatness of this gospel message today. As we look into your word, would you change us, please? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start off today with my big idea. I just want to lay it right out on the line there for you. It's the same as the title for our sermon. The gospel is for all people. Now, I'm guessing for most of you, the first thought you have is to say amen. You know, I, I'm so glad that the gospel is for me. And I think that. I, I think back to my life where I, I was just kind of going my own direction. And then God met me with the gospel message. And I was so glad to know that the gospel was for me too. But you know what? Even as much as we might rejoice at this phrase, the gospel is for all people, I, I think that there's a part of us that sometimes actually, maybe not intentionally, but maybe uh, in the back of our mind, we, we maybe want to withhold the gospel from some people. So you, you might be thinking, well, who's that? No, I want the gospel to go to all people. Okay, think about this. What about the people of ISIS? You want the gospel to go to them? What about abortion doctors? When was the last time you prayed for one of them? What about people from Green Bay? Or, you know... <laughs> I had to put that one in there. Sorry. Not too sorry, actually. Not, no, not sorry at all. But, uh, we can pray for them, too. Or, you know, that, that person who annoyed you the other day, whether it was cutting you off in traffic or just saying something kind of rude to you, is your first reaction to love them like God loved them and to pray for them? Um, something happened to me just this week. Guys, you know, kind of annoyed me. And, uh, boy, my first reaction was to kind of meet him in that. And in, in my mind, at least, thank I, I don't think I crossed any lines that I shouldn't have, except maybe in my mind. And I came back and I thought, you know what? I need to pray for that guy. I don't know where he is with the Lord, but I, I need to pray for him because the gospel is for sinners like me and for sinners around the world. So the good news of the gospel is that we can all be forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We have full forgiveness in him. But sometimes when we think of the sins of other people, maybe we're not so sure we want the gospel to go to them. So let me say it again. The gospel is for all people. Now we're walking through the book of Romans here. We're getting close to the end. We're in chapter 15 of 16 today. And in our passage today, it talks about this, the gospel message going forth not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles. That all of them were sinners, and the gospel was for all of them as well. Now, in the church at Rome, there were both Gentiles and Jews, and as we've walked through chapters 14 and the first part of 15 the last three Sundays, we've seen kind of some of the problems that came up as these Jews and Gentiles were combined into one body. They didn't always agree. They had some of these disputes, and it looks like some of them might have been pretty significant, so significant that the Apostle Paul had to spend like a chapter and a half talking about these disputes. And it's interesting. I read this this week, and I'd never really thought of it this way, but it made sense to me that this Jew-Gentile clash actually gets at one of the bigger storylines of the Bible. You see, it's easy for us to look at the Old Testament and to think of it as a book for the Jews, the 
people of Israel. And I'm guessing that the people of Israel kind of thought of it that way, that that was God's message to them. But to do that is to miss out on this really important idea that the gospel is for all people. Now, in some ways, this message didn't get as much airtime in the Old Testament. It kind of comes out more clearly in the New Testament, but you know what? It is there in the Old Testament. And if we keep our eyes open, which the Apostle Paul reminds us to do today, uh, we will see this idea that God has always wanted to include all people, all peoples, as his people. Now, here's what I think might have happened, though. God revealed this plan to his people, and they heard the part about how he wanted them to come to him, and they maybe heard the other part about the message to go forth, but maybe they didn't embrace that part. And I think we're all like that. We're all a little self-centered, right? And we all love that God wants to bless us, but maybe we forget about God's plan to bless other people as well. So in our passage today, we see that it's for both Jews and Gentiles. Now, the the word Gentiles just literally means nations. It's just um, either you're a Jew, meaning you are one of God's chosen people from the Old Testament, or if not, you were a Gentile. You were one of the other nations. It just simply means those who aren't Jews. And again, the Jews were the ones that God picked. Yes, they were the ones that God gave his word to, that God promised that the Messiah would come from. But, and this part was too often overlooked, God had plans for the other nations as well. In Genesis 12:3, in what I often call one of the most important passages, in fact, I'd call it the most important passage in the Old Testament, God said this to Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God was calling Abraham to himself and giving him these amazing blessings you can read about in Genesis 12, but one of the blessings was that all peoples on earth would be blessed through him. And we now know in hindsight that that happened through Jesus Christ. Jesus came from the line of Abraham, but he didn't just come for Abraham or just for the Jews. He came for all who would believe in him, that they might be blessed as well. See, this is part of God's plan to bring the gospel to all people. So today, as we look at Romans 15, 7 through 13, we want to look at this, this idea that God wanted, always wanted, his gospel to go to all people. So Romans 15, 7 through 13, first I want to read through the passage, then we're going to walk through it, and then at the end of my sermon, I want to give three points of application. Okay? So let me start off by reading it here. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews, some of your translations there say circumcised. That's just what they mean when they say, say circumcised. It's the Jewish people. Uh, Christ became a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations, the Gentiles will hope in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So starting out there, we see the word accept, or some of your translations say welcome, which I think is maybe a better translation. It's that same word we saw twice in chapter 14. We saw it in verse 1. We also saw it in verse 3. And the idea there, just 
mini recap of chapter 14, there were these disputable matters that the people in the Church of Rome were disagreeing on. And these weren't matters that had to do with gospel. Like, it wasn't that one was saying Jesus is Lord and the other was saying, no, we should worship someone else. They, they all believed in Jesus. They just disagreed on these lesser theological matters. And Paul's command for them was to welcome each other and to accept each other. And here we see the same command again, but this time it's kicked up a notch because it says, accept or welcome one another just as Christ accepted you. How did Christ accept us? As sinners, right? That's how we all came to him, as sinners. He knew everything about us. But yet he loved us so much that he wanted to rescue us. So he sent his son to die on the cross for us that any who receive him can have complete forgiveness. And you know what? We still sin sometimes. And Christ still welcomes us. He doesn't want us to sin. It's not that he says, okay, fine, now that you know me, it's okay if you sin. No, that's not what he says. But he does welcome us still. Knows us in our weakness and gives us that mercy. If that's how Christ has welcomed us, then that is how we are to welcome our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it has to do with the gospel message. It's, it's the good news, like I just said, of Jesus' death for us that we could be forgiven. And you know what it's not the good news of? The gospel is not the message of clean yourself up, become acceptable to God, and then he will accept you. If that were the message, who, who of us could ever become acceptable enough to God? Who of us could ever earn our way to God? We couldn't do that. The message of the gospel is that God came to us, rescued us, and welcomed us. And that's how we then are to treat our fellow sinners. We welcome each other. There should not be this infighting amongst us. And again, praise the Lord. I think that God has blessed us with unity at Cornerstone. I, I think that we do seem to get along pretty well, but let's remember to continue to welcome each other as Christ welcomes us. Let's not let these little differences get in the way or these sins get in the way. Let's forgive each other. Let's repent and welcome each other. See, God is making us into one body of which Christ is the head. And God is doing this, like he said in verse 7, in order to, or, excuse me, we welcome each other in this body in order to bring praise to God. Okay, moving on then, verses 8 and 9, we see that Christ became a servant of the Jews. He, he came from the line of the Jews for two reasons. First, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs of the Jews. And then second, as it says there, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. You see, Jesus came, one of the reasons he came was to fulfill all these promises. You read the Old Testament, you see a bunch of promises God made to his people. And a bunch of those promises are about the Messiah who was to come. And God fulfilled those promises. It's, it reminds us of one of the wonderful things about who God is. He is faithful. Okay? And that's good news for us too. Because as we read the Bible, we see that there are some promises that God has not yet fulfilled, but await a later day. How should we view those promises? we can have the certain hope of knowing that God will be faithful to those promises too. This, this is who he is. He has never broken a promise and he never will. He is faithful. But then God is also merciful. It says there that he was, uh, that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Um, in his mercy, God didn't just want to punish evildoers. 
He wants to forgive. He treats us better than we deserve. And this mercy extends to the Gentiles, to the nations. That's how welcoming God is. And I was thinking about that. Isn't it kind of sad that, that one, of the, uh, one of the perceptions that non-Christians have of us is that we are not welcoming? If you listen to the news today, oh, what kind of words do you think non-Christians might use to describe Christians? And now, they might be wrong, okay. It, it might be, they might be 100% wrong about it. Or maybe they're just, you know, 50% wrong. And maybe we are a little unwelcoming. Now again, we do have to draw some lines. And the lines have to do with the gospel message. We don't just welcome somebody into full membership here who says that Jesus Christ is not Lord. That's not what we're talking about. But for those who have received Jesus as Lord, we welcome them. And for those who haven't, we love them. So we Christians should be welcoming. And I hope that things start to change, that the body of Christ is strengthened to show that kind of love even to people on the outside because God wants to show mercy to them that they might come to know him. So getting back to this, uh, verses 8 and 9, God is faithful to his promises and merciful to all who come to him by faith. Faithful and merciful. I want you to know that. Uh, I want to show you a verse here from Psalm 145, 13. Says the Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. I want to leave that up there for a little bit. I want you to look at it again. The Lord is faithful to all his promises and loving toward all he has made. Do you realize that that includes you? Uh, maybe you've had a tough week. Uh, maybe you feel like God is blessing other people but not you. Maybe you feel like he's eventually going to be faithful, but right now you're kind of wondering. Please know that God is loving toward all he has made. And he's being faithful right now in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. Because God loves to show this kind of mercy to us. God, he loves to show that mercy. It's one of the themes of Romans. Um, that God has been faithful to the promises he made to the Jews and merciful to the nations who didn't yet know him even. And lest you think that Paul is just making this up, like some people might say, hey Paul, that's not really what the Old Testament said. You're kind of twisting it around to suit your own purposes. Uh, lest you think that, Paul goes on now to quote four Old Testament passages in verses 9 through 12, and I want to walk through those right now. Um, and just a quick note again, whenever we look at Old Testament passages in the New Testament, a, a great tip for studying them is to go back and read the context of those verses. Not just the verses themselves, but go back, for example, and read Deuteronomy 32 to get a fuller picture of what is going on here. Okay, so verse 9, Paul quotes from Psalm 18 and 2 Samuel 22. He says, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Now, in the Old Testament, those words are on the lips of King David. But so often, as happens in the Psalms, the, the words that were on King David's lips were words that would foreshadow Jesus and what he would say and what he would do. And that's, I think, what's going on here. In Psalm 18, it was David who was in trouble and who cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord heard him. But it foreshadows Jesus and the trouble that he went through on the cross and Jesus crying out to his Father and Jesus being rescued through the resurrection by his Father. And at the end of the story, after David is delivered, his response is to praise the Lord. But notice among whom he praises. 
He says, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. Isn't that neat? Uh, here's King David, the king of the Jews, and God saves him, and what does he do? He proclaims that salvation to the nations by rejoicing, by singing about what God had done. Okay, then in verse 10, Paul quotes Deuteronomy 32. He says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Now, this is an interesting one. Uh, if you were to read Deuteronomy 32, what you would see is punishment for the nations. And, and I was reading Deuteronomy 32, and, and like all of a sudden it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And I'm like, why? Why, if it's punishment for the nations, why should the nations rejoice? Well, I, I think I figured it out, and uh, God has shown it to us in his word, that he wants the nations to come to him. Yes, he will punish. God is the God who punishes. If you've never read the last three chapters of the Bible, you should read them. And in those chapters, very clearly, God has a place to send people for eternity that is apart from him, and where there's punishment. But he also tells us about the place that he has reserved for his children where we get to live with him in glory and in perfection. And God's heart is that the gospel message now would go out to all nations so that they could be rescued from that wrath, rescued from that punishment. So when Deuteronomy 32 says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, I see it as an invitation for the nations to come to Jesus. Then verse 11, Paul quotes Psalm 117, which is the shortest chapter in the Bible, and therefore, not just for that reason, but maybe that's one of the reasons, a great chapter to memorize. Actually, I'd encourage you to do that. If you're looking for a homework assignment today, Psalm 117, all two verses of it, you might want to memorize it. It's a great psalm of praise. And it says in there, uh, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you peoples. All the nations are to praise the Lord, not just the Jews. And like it says later in Psalm 117, the great love and faithfulness of the Lord are for all the peoples. Again, isn't that maybe just a little bit different than we might remember the Old Testament? If somebody asks you what it's about, you might say, well, it's, it's God's message for his people and it looks ahead to Jesus. Well, in the Old Testament, Paul shows us four times, plus there's many others. I just read one this morning in my own Bible reading. Uh, it's about the nations as well. Okay, then verse 12, Paul quotes from Isaiah 11. It's an important passage about the coming Messiah. This root of Jesse who was going to spring up was going to be the Messiah. Um, Jesse was the father of King David, so that's why he's the root of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David, and then through David's line came Jesus. But notice what it says here. Uh, this king wasn't just to rule over the Jews. Usually that's the way it works with a king. You know, uh, if you're the, the prince of England, then you become the king of England, not the king of the world. Right? It's the same all over the world. But this king, who was to come up from the line of David, was, yes, to be the king of the Jews, but also, look what it says, he was to rule over the nations, and even the Gentiles will hope in him. And if you go back and read Isaiah 11, you see... A, a picture of two groups of people coming. You see the Jews coming from the, the nations to which they had been dispersed, but you also see the Gentiles coming along as well. The Messiah comes and he's like this banner, you know, and I don't know what it says on the banner, but maybe it says, come here or come home. And the Jews come, but the Gentiles also come because Jesus is the King of Kings. So this is the consistent storyline of the Bible that God wants to bless all peoples who come to him by faith. 
We see it in the Old Testament. Uh, we see it very clearly in the New Testament. We see it in passages in the New Testament, like the Great Commission, for example, which says, go and make disciples of what? All nations. And in Acts 1.8, we're told to go to the ends of the earth with this message, as we are his witnesses. Okay, then moving on to verse 13, uh, we have what could be called a benediction verse. Benediction, just a Latin way of saying to bless. Verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God wants to give joy and peace and hope. Does that sound good to anybody? Anybody want joy and peace and hope? Uh, I was just kind of thinking about those three words together this week. And I was thinking, if we have joy and peace and hope, that means that we have a lack of anxiety. Anxiety would kind of be the opposite of peace, I think. And we can have a lack of anxiety because we trust that God is in control. And then also, we can have this, this happiness or this contentment or whatever you want to call it, a smile deep down in your soul because we know that regardless of what we're going through now, even if it's difficult, God is with us and has good plans for us. And like what Brian was mentioning earlier, we can have hope regardless of what's going on, regardless of what our nation does, regardless of what annoying people around you might do, we can have hope because we trust that God is in control. So all these three things taken together, we can have this calmness. We can walk through life with peace, with contentment, with hope, because God is in control and we know that he loves us. But notice how all three of these things come. They come, like it says here, uh, as you trust in him and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Trust is a word in the Bible that means faith or belief. They all, they all mean the same thing. They mean that we give our lives to God, trusting that he's the best one to lead us. It's so easy for us to try to lead our own lives, but God has a better life for us, and the trust comes in when we say, yes, God, I'm with you, I follow you. But as we do that, as we trust in him, he gives us joy and peace and hope, which, isn't that great? Because I think that that's what the world wants anyways. The, the very same people who would reject Jesus are trying to find their own joy and peace and hope, but they don't get it because they don't get the one who it comes from. Joy and peace and hope come as we trust in him. We don't try to drum up our own joy or fight for our own peace or pretend that we have our own kind of hope in and of ourselves. We get them from God as we trust in him. And we also get them, like it says, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the power, just like I said, to get these things on our own. But God will give them to us by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us, whom he has poured into our hearts. It's one of the blessings of the Trinity is that God the Holy Spirit lives in us who know Jesus. And he, from his vast resources, empowers us to have joy and peace and hope. So if you don't have those three things, don't look for them on your own. Trust in God and ask him to give you those things as you follow him, as you walk with him. Okay, so now we have walked through this passage. What I want to do now is I want to end by giving you three points of application. 
Number one is that we are to live as one body in Christ. Again, we're commanded to welcome our brothers and sisters in Christ just as he welcomed us. Now it's difficult because again, uh, the body of Christ is made up of all sorts of different kinds of people and some of those people may get on your nerves, some of those people might disagree with you, but we're commanded here to welcome each other. He's welcomed us, we should welcome each other. And a part of this, I think, has to do with race. In fact, that's, that's actually a pretty big part about what's going on here in Romans 15 is this whole Jew-Gentile thing. You see, Jews and Gentiles didn't really get along. Jews had their own rules and they looked down on Gentiles because the Gentiles didn't follow their rules. And the Gentiles kind of returned the favor for the Jews being strange and having their own rules. So they kind of clashed. But in Christ, so a Jew comes to Christ and a Gentile comes to Christ, all of a sudden they're in one body and they're commanded to get along. Because you see, in Christ, these cultural or racial distinctions don't matter. It's amazing. I, I, I like to watch the news, and it's amazing to see sometimes how much people think these cultural distinctions do matter. And, and don't get me wrong, there are cultural distinctions, and there will continue to be. I think in, uh, in Revelation, we see people from every nation, tribe, people, and language worshiping God. So it's interesting. There do continue to be these differences, but these differences in Christ are never to divide us. Now, yes, there may be some spiritual difference that, that has to divide us. But the cultural and racial distinctions should never divide us. And I hope again, let, let me say this again, that the church sets an example for this. That the church in America, uh, we as Americans, we should kind of be the examples. We're the melting pot. But our nation, I don't know if you've noticed this lately, isn't doing a great job at getting along. I hope that the church shines as a, as a light in getting along, even across racial lines. We're one body in Christ. God knows what he's doing. He is drawing us together. Let's welcome each other. Okay, my second application point today is that we should praise God. Did you notice how many times words like praise or rejoice or glorify showed up in our passage today? In verse 7, we can praise God by welcoming each other. In verse 9, even Gentiles like us can glorify God for his mercy. And again, in verse 9, we can sing God's praises when he has done something good for us, which is pretty much all the time. In verse 10, Gentiles are commanded to rejoice in the Lord with his people. And then again in verse 11, all Gentiles and all people are commanded to praise the Lord. So praising God should be a regular part of our lives. And I want to ask you a pointed question here. Do you make it your goal to praise God? Uh, I think that too many Christians just kind of walk through life assuming that they'll eventually praise God just by doing what they're doing. And, and there's a part of that that's, a, that's right because we can worship God by doing the things that he wants us to do, whether that's going to work or whether that's hanging out with your family or whether whatever it is, we can praise God by doing the things he has called us to do, but I'm suggesting that I would like praising God to be something that's more at the front of our minds, something that we are constantly thinking about. So when a choice comes our way and there's two different paths, what's the question that pops into our mind? What would God want me to do? How can I honor God in this situation? If you're struggling, if there's just something that's not going right, if there's, again, one of those annoying people that's coming your way, what do you do? You go to God and you say, God, would you strengthen me to honor you in this situation? 
See, I think that the natural way for us to walk through this life is to think about ourselves and what we want. And who does that bring honor and glory to? Ourselves. And, and it's really no honor or glory. It's shame, actually. Shame on us for thinking that, that we're God and that we should offer sacrifices to ourselves. I want us to be thinking all the time this, this question, what can I do to honor God? Okay? Kids, you're going to be heading off to school here. Uh, what, what do you think? How can you honor God in school? What can you do to say, to show God that you want to follow him and live as a light for him while you're there? We should always be thinking about that question. How can I honor God? And that question, what can I do for myself, needs to be kicked to the curb. God will take care of us as we trust him, as we honor and glorify him. Uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, then application number three. We should take the gospel to the nations. Let me remind you of some verses five chapters earlier in Romans 10. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And that word preaching, by the way, just means proclaiming. It's not just what preachers do. It's what Christians do to proclaim the message. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. People need to come to Jesus. We should tell them. When we tell them about Jesus, we are bringing them a message of joy and peace and hope. And if they receive Jesus, it's life for them. Now, I understand that it might feel awkward for us to tell them, or that we, we might be scared, or we might think that they don't want to hear it, or that we're inconveniencing them. I get all of that. And believe me, I understand all of that. But I also understand that if they receive the message, it's life for them. And we should bring this message to them even if they're people that you think don't deserve it. Even if they're Packers fans. So. We should all be engaged in this kind of missionary work. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that most of you have heard what I'm going to say next. I'm going to kind of close with this. But there are three great ways that we can be involved in this missionary work of bringing the gospel to the nations. Pray, give, and go. Let me just walk quickly through each of those three. Um, praying. For those of you, I'm, I'm going to cut you newbies a little bit of slack here, but for those of you who have been coming to Cornerstone for a year or more, and, and if you're not in that category, a year from now I'll expect the same thing from you, but for those of you who have been coming for at least a year, I would hope that I would be able to come up to you at any moment and ask you the question, what missionaries are you regularly praying for? And off the tip of your tongue, you'd just be able to tell me, two or three at least, that you're praying for. Uh, I, I think that we should just all be praying for missionaries like that. Uh, we've got several of them that we support. In fact, some of them are here. In fact, I see the Larsons back there. Hello, Larsons. Glad you could make it. I didn't know you guys were coming today, so good to see you. Uh, we've got Talia, who's going to be going very shortly. We've got many others. I hope we've got Daryl and Valerie. Daryl's not here because he's on the mission field. Valerie's here. We've got the Oswalds here. Uh, who am I missing? We've got people that you can be praying for and should be praying for, I would say weekly, at least weekly, if not daily, to be praying for these people. 
But then also we can pray for ourselves because I think we're all missionaries. We're all sent ones to go with this gospel message. So we can be praying that God would open doors and that we would make the most of every opportunity. We should regularly, even daily, I think, be praying about those kinds of opportunities that God would give us and that he would strengthen us to make the most of them. Second, we can give. Uh, I once heard it said that everybody should be a giver or a goer. Uh, If you can't like, go to Africa or Haiti, you can give to people who are going. So I just encourage you to think about that. We just heard from Talia who has a need. You can talk to some of these other missionaries. They probably have needs too. But um, if we're serious about the gospel going to the nations, and we live in Fergus Falls, it seems to me like we should be giving to people who are going to the nations. And then lastly, go. Uh, I love hearing a story about how God called Talia. And I hope that every single one of us would listen to God's call in our life to go. Um, and if that means going to Africa, it means you go. Um, it's a quick little story. I heard about, I don't know how long it was ago, maybe a hundred years ago, but when people would go to Africa as missionaries, you know what some of them would pack their belongings in? A coffin. They, I mean, isn't that great? So, so serious about the call of the Lord saying, I'm going to go to Africa and I may very well die there and I'm going to need a coffin. So why bother bringing a suitcase? Just bring a coffin and put my stuff in it. Uh, now, I'm not suggesting that that's the kind of call that you may need to answer today, but it's the same kind of call that we should always be ready to hear, whether that means going to Africa or whether it means going to your next-door neighbor and sharing the gospel with them or writing a letter to somebody that's been on your heart for a while. We're inviting a friend out to lunch so that you can talk about the gospel with them. We should be going. And we can all be goers, by the way. Uh, even if you're bound up at home, you can go by, by talking to other people, by bringing the gospel message to them. But we should all be engaged in this work of bringing the gospel to the nations because the gospel is for all people. Praise the Lord, it's for you, but it's so good that it, it shouldn't stop with us we should bring it to other people as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we do thank you for this wonderful gospel message that has come to us and saved us. And God, we know that the gospel is good news for all people, for all nations. We pray that you would strengthen us to, to proclaim that gospel. We pray that you would raise up laborers and send them into har- the harvest field. God, help us to do our part in praying and in giving and in going. And God, also we pray that you would uh, give us great unity as one body as we welcome each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you give us wisdom to know how to do that, even across racial lines. Help us as the church to shine as lights for how we love each other. And God, help us to glorify you. You are a great God. You are worthy of all praise and honor and glory and power. I pray that we would worship you with our lives, that we would always be thinking about how we can honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.